Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's allowed. The Holy Spirit can come on you any point during my preaching. You could, Holy Spirit can interrupt my preaching any day for the whole time if he wants to. So that'll be fine. I'll probably just keep talking as long as he keeps working. If he whacks me in the process, then game over. All right? <laughs> we'll live with that, that when it happens. Um, uh, would you turn with me to, uh, we're going to look at two scriptures, 1 Samuel 10, and then we're back in Luke 4 where we were last week. And anybody with those ankle, oh no, I had another word of knowledge. Um, sharp pain in the ear. Anybody get sharp pain in their ear? You got it now? Or you just, but you get it. Okay, we need to pray for you. Anybody else get sharp pain in their ear? But you get it. Okay, we make sure we pray for you in a minute. And we prayed for ankles and other stuff. Anybody got any relief, improvement, healing already? Checking it out. Has it some things you can check? Some things take time. Yes? No. <laughs> it will be a yes. <laughs> okay, great. All right, one Samuel ten. Bit bit of an unusual passage. This is where. Samuel anoints Saul to be king over Israel, their first king. This is an amazing privilege for this guy, and he gets picked out by God. And we're just going to break in and read a few verses here. 1 Samuel 10, verse 1. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader of his, over his inheritance? And then just, just skip on in, in verse 9. It says, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. Isn't that wonderful? And all these signs were fulfilled that day. And it says, when he arrived in Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came on him in power, and he joined in the prophesying. Wow, what a day's experience this guy is having. Uh, and then if you go down to verse 17, the, the day of the coronation has come, which uh, there in verse 17, and Samuel summoned all the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought Israel out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but <coughs> you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses and you said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel brought all the tribes and of Israel near the tribe of Benjamin was chosen when he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan and Matri's clan was chosen finally Saul son of Kish was chosen but when they looked for him he was nowhere to be found so they inquired further of the Lord Lord where is he <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just interjecting that into the text all right I'm just that's what I'd say uh, and he said <coughs> of the Lord has the man come here yet and the Lord said yes he's hidden himself among the baggage <laughs> this is your moment you've been anointed by the prophet it says of that prophet that none of his words that God allowed to fall to the ground you've had God literally reach into your insides and change your heart You've been amongst the prophets and the Spirit of God has come on you in power. And then here's your moment of standing up in front of everybody and you're hiding in the baggage. Just turn with me to, to Luke 4. By contrast, here's Jesus. He's, Jesus has been led... After his baptism and the Spirit coming on him, he's led into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And he's tempted, and we'll refer to that in a minute. It's just not time to read it all. He's tempted by the devil three times. Uh, and after that, he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And he goes to his hometown. And uh, <clears throat> verse 14 of Luke 4, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee. So there's some, there's some parallels here. He's been anointed. 
He's received that, that commissioning moment. There's a moment where heaven opened over him and, and the father said, this is my son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now here he is. He returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everybody praised him. And he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And rolling it, he found a place where it's written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying this to them. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And uh, we went on last week to talk about how really they rejected him. They said, well, this is just Joseph's son. And he then goes on to say how at different times Israel had anointed men. He tells a story about Elisha and a story about Elijah. And in that, those times where they had these incredibly anointed and gifted prophets in their midst, actually the miracles they could do were not done in Israel. The healing to the leper happened to someone who had to come from outside to, to come to the, the prophet and, and even the provision in, in the time of famine was given to someone outside Israel. And Jesus makes the point is, you can have the anointing in your midst, but if you don't receive it, you don't get the blessing. And, and we talked about how it's so important that, that we find a way to honor the people that God has appointed to carry His blessing, His anointing, to carry revival fire, to carry gifts to impact the world and impact the church. And, and we, we got into it in the end and we decided we'd call it how to honor people we think are plonkers. Because you know what? Incredibly anointed people, there's always something in there that can give offense to you. Why rationally you go, eh. And so we repented of, of not liking Americans in this room. And, and other prejudices that we hold deeply as British people, actually. I mean, we laugh, but I remember going to Bethel and people were saying, they're kind of offering me cautions, but it basically boiled down to, it's because it's American. Hello? And, and I think we have to, we have all these things, and I, I, I painted for you the picture of, of the person that a New Frontiers pastor would have the most problem with if they carried revival to their church. It was probably a black woman American who'd had a divorce and was trying to help fallen pastors back into ministry. If God anointed someone like that, someone like me, it would push all the wrong buttons and I'd be going, no, it can't be the Lord, but it could well be the Lord. We have to learn to honor what God does and not be offended by the package. Jesus chose the first people to announce his resurrection to be women. And one of those women had had seven demons cast out of her. So there's plenty of people around who could have looked at thought, well, she's a bit of a dodgy case. And secondly, this, the testimony of a woman had no weight in a court of law. So low were women seen in the structure of society, their testimony had no validity so when it's written in the scripture that it was a woman or women that saw the resurrection, that was the worst possible choice of people to give testimony to the resurrection of Jesus from the point of view of their prejudices and culture. But God chose it because he wanted to honor the women. And he wasn't making it easy to get the message for the men. Did you notice how the guys didn't believe and they had to go and run to the tomb themselves and they were getting their prejudices undone in the process. So I don't know what it is, but there's a package out there that you don't like, and God could just well bring your answer in that package. And that's what Jesus is confronting. In fact, he confronts it so hard that they try and throw him off the edge of a cliff. It's not a nice message. I mean, I know it was, we had fun last week, but actually... It's not a pleasant message. It's provoking prejudices. And Scots and Brits, we have prejudices. Even Christians have prejudices. In fact, especially Christians have prejudices. 
Because we have God to back up our prejudices. Because we're saying, well, God would never use a black American woman who's had a divorce to, you know, can't be possible. Well, I'm not saying that's what he'll do, but if he did, and I don't like it, I'm the one with the problem. I was reading again about the South Wales Revival, 26 years old, guy with very little training, an ex-minor, is the spark plug of a revival that leads 100,000 people to Christ in two years. Haha. <laughs> and it says that he rarely preached. He stood in the pulpit. He said his ministry was characterized by mirth. <laughs> so he stood up and they had lots of testimony and singing and then he'd stand up and he'd say something and then they'd have more, someone else would stand up and say a testimony and then have another song and the whole thing kind of rolled along like this. He would be in the pulpit and sometimes he'd be laughing hilariously, sometimes he'd be crying and the whole thing was this, this and thousands of people became Christians and it didn't fit any box of its day. And people, learned church leaders, were offended by it. The fact they had to go and sit at the feet of of hardened miners to learn what God was doing in their day, where all their books had not helped them bring it about. Ha! (laughs) That's a good word right there. (laughs) So he was just happy. And that was absolute against the whole somberness and seriousness of religion of his day. And it just broke something, and God flowed through him and and through others, and there was this amazing, amazing outpouring. So let's not be offended. I know people, the stories are told of churches that said, we don't think this is authentic, and the revival broke out all around them, and nothing happened where they actually were. I know people, because it was like early 1900s, you know, you you can listen to the grandmas when you've been uh, around as long as me, who went, they took their daughter to see, and they saw the miners dancing on, on the pews before they went to work, waving their hankies in the air. They said, this can't be the revival we're waiting for, and they rejected it and walked away, and it never touched them. But those who were touched by it, even in their 70s, when you talk to them about the revival, they'd say, yes, well, the revival ended, but it's still alive in my heart. It's still burning with fire. I'd love to meet a 78-year-old like that. When you've seen something like that, it never leaves you. But it comes in ways that we don't expect. And Jesus wasn't what they expected. He didn't come from where they thought he'd come from. He didn't come the way they thought he'd come. He didn't come with the agenda they thought he should have. But he said, and he stood up and he said, I'm the man. (laughs) He stood up and said, I'm the man. He nailed it. As I said to you last week, that's one of the four reasons I don't think I would like Jesus. You know, we, none of us, we all think, oh, if Jesus was here, we'd just fall at his feet and we'd love him. I'm not so sure that we would be as enamored as we think we would be. Because we have him in a box that's our shape. We have him all sort of kind of fuzzy kind of gooey-eyed, a bit floaty, and he's always kind and merciful, never challenging you like, where's your faith then? It's like, well, you would never say that to me. We did it to them. Why not me? He was a bit outrageous. You know, you invite him to your house, somebody rips the roof off. Come on, get real. Your brother's been dead in the tomb for four days. He shows up, stands outside, it says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Well, if you're so cocksure, why didn't you show up four days ago, for goodness sake? He said outrageous stuff. He did outrageous stuff. But he was willing to line himself up. He's willing to nail it. He's willing to say who he was. Acknowledging who you are is Christ-like. 
He said outrageous things. He said, I am the resurrection and life. He said, no one comes to the Father but through me. I found another one. I really like this. The last and greatest day of the feast. He stood up and he said, if anybody is thirsty, let him come. Not to heaven or to the Father. It says, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Wow, he, he's nailed it right there. I mean, that's our whole model of impartation. Are you thirsty this morning? Well, come to me and have a drink. Because after I'm done praying with you, you'll have a river inside of you all of your own. That's what he said. And that's what I'm saying. That's what the church needs to say. World, if you're thirsty, come to us and have a drink. We'll pray for you. You'll get whacked. And then you'll just need to keep drinking yourself. That's what, that was Jesus' style. And this huge crowd, he didn't sort of hide in the baggage. He said, I'm the man... If you come to me, you can get heaven stuff. I'm the delivery van of heaven right here. And there's fresh bread, fresh wine, fresh refreshment, all on offer, and it all comes through me. And he did it over and over and over again. What an arrogant so-and-so. <laughs> According to our way of thinking. I want to speak to you this morning about alignment. Lining ourselves up with who God says we are. You've got to line up. You've got to take courage. And say what God says. Agree with what He says. Let your opinion be His opinion. Not what you think is acceptable or easy. This was a risk. In fact, this was dangerous. He could have lost his life by lining up with what God said about him. So this is not small beer. We read, he, he ultimately did lose his life. He could have lost it right there. It <laughs> could have been game over before he started. Such is the, the, the reaction to lining up with the call of God. And that's often what we fear and, and why we don't do it. Whereas Saul was diffident. Saul had the anointing, but he hid. When the call came, where's the king? Today is the day to crown him. He didn't say, that's what I'm anointed to be. He hid in the baggage. And the rest of his life is characterized by an unwillingness to completely line up with the word of the Lord. So it's just, it produced weakness in his kingship. And I believe the root of it's right. It's not that God hadn't given him a calling. God hadn't anointed him. God hadn't God had given him a calling. God had anointed him. God had changed his heart, but something in Saul refused to go. That's me. Whereas Jesus, when push came to shove, uh, literally joke, never mind. He said, it's me. It's me. I'm the one. I'm the one. This is what I'm called to do. Diminishing your significance, church, is robbing the world of redemptive impact. Diminishing your significance. It's not about you and me. It's not about how I feel about me. That's not humility, that's self-obsession. How do I feel about this? Oh, I couldn't possibly, blah, blah, blah. That's not really me. Well, it's not really up to you. <laughs> Who's in charge of my life? Well, Jesus is my Lord. Well, then why don't you agree with what he says about you? Well, I couldn't possibly be so puffed up as that. Well, who's doing the puffing? 
We need to be more preoccupied. Preoccupied is a new word. <laughs> that means we need to prioritize what occupies him. So I'm preoccupied. <laughs> I'm preoccupied with what he's occupied with <laughs> about me. That's Christ-centeredness. Being preoccupied with what I think about me is me-centeredness. Thank you. I thought so too. Jesus does this all the time. He just passed one identity test. I think probably the main battle that we are in as a church in this nation is this thing. Who are we? Who on earth are you? And what right do you have to say or do anything on this planet? The first test that Jesus faced after his baptism and his anointing was the question, phrased this way by the devil, if you are the Son of God, change these stones into bread. Who are you? And if you are who you say you are, prove it. And then the, the third temptation is exactly the same. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself off this high place and he's going to catch you. If you are, get him to prove it. I don't need to prove I'm a son of God and I don't need him to prove to me that I'm a son of God because the Holy Spirit on me tells me I'm a son. I've been adopted. So if you don't have and haven't had a major encounter with the Holy Spirit, you will always struggle with this issue of are you a son or are you a daughter? You can't reason it into you. You can't persuade it into you. You can only encounter it into you. Because the Bible says it's by the Spirit who cries out inside us, Abba, Father, that we know that we're God's children. And you need to be rooted in that reality so that when the devil comes and says, well, you don't look much like a son of God to me, you go, well, I just know I am. I don't have to prove it to you, and I don't need him to prove it to you either. I know, so go away. Do you know that? Come on, this is what we need in our hearts. So we pass that test. And when we know that we're truly sons and daughters, cherished, loved, we have all the affections of heaven all over us, security comes. Favor comes. Faith comes. But that isn't the end of identity. We're all sons and daughters, but thankfully you're not all like me. Some of you are more thankful than others. <laughs> because you have, there's another phase to your identity. What are you on the planet to do? Well, I'm here to be a son and daughter. Yeah, that's excellent. But what's your destiny? What's your purpose? What's your shape? What's your gifting? What's your function? What bit of life are you going to transform? What bit of this world are you going to take for heaven? And that looks different for every single one of us. And Jesus knew what his assignment was. He knew his identity was in the anointing. And the anointing not only gave him significance as a son, it gave him significance as a functioning person who came to bring something of heaven to earth. So he stands up and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And we've got this in our language now. We talk about, you're carrying something. You heard that. We talk about, you've got something. You're carrying something. What are you packing? What are you carrying? What are you? What, that's because this is what this verse is. He's saying, this is what I'm carrying. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, and I'm carrying release for captives. I'm carrying sight for blind people. I'm carrying prisoners set free. I'm carrying the year of the Lord's favor, a declaration of liberty to everybody on the planet. That's what I'm carrying. I'm walking around. I'm a living, walking freedom machine. Because the Holy Spirit is on me. And He's on me to do something. 
He's on me to give me significance. He's on me to give me impact. He's on me to shape my life and give me a destiny. And every single one of us, the Holy Spirit comes in us to make us and let us know that we're sons and daughters and He comes on us to equip us to have impact in the world, to make you who you really are. So you have a passion, you have an inclination, you have a desire, you have a gifting, you have a shape that we need as a church and the world needs. Because if you don't line up with it, you're robbing everybody of impact. And it's not your impact. Although it is your impact. We're partners with heaven. But the significance that you have and the impact you can have is because he's given you something that you can carry. And you can dispense. Are you getting this? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. It's on me. I'm a, I'm a walking carrier of heavenly power. And it's on me too. It's on me to do something. It's on me to express it. Are you actively, am I actively agreeing with God's opinion of my life? Actively agreeing with God's opinion of my life? Or is my opinion of my life shaped by my history, the devil, my own thoughts, current popular culture? Hello? You know, those thoughts that go around in our head all of the time, constantly, 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 what is shaping who you believe you are? We need to actively agree with God's opinion and actively speak God's opinion. I think that when we fail to line up with this, it leaves us in that insecure place, like Saul. He was insecure his whole reign. Why? Because he didn't line up with the pool of light, with the spotlight, with the grace resource, with the, with the blob of heaven that had been deposited on him. He chose not to step into it for some reason or other. And therefore, he was insecure. And he was insecure because he didn't, have, he didn't line up with the equipment he needed to do the job he was called to do. Is this making sense? If you stand back from your call of fearing presumption, you don't stand in the zone of anointing, and therefore you don't have access to the resources to do it. The Spirit of the Lord resourced Jesus to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. He walked as a man anointed. He didn't walk, although he was 100% God. He activated and he did his ministry as an anointed man. The Spirit of the Lord empowered him to do all this stuff. He lined up with his call and he accessed the resources of heaven to see those things happen. If we stand back from lining up to that, we're suddenly disconnecting from the flow of life that God has made available to us. So maybe, maybe you, you, are, you aspire to be humble. But deep inside, I'm just painting a picture. Deep inside you, there's this call from heaven that you're trying to keep quiet to be a prophet. But you think that's a bit presumptuous. And you see people that help in the church and they, they help the wheels turn in the church. So there's this thing in the Bible called ministry of helps. And they're people who are incredibly useful, incredibly anointed, incredibly significant people who make the thing actually work. You think, oh Lord, just to be a doorkeeper in your house, I'll be a ministry of helps because that's humble. No, that's stupid. So you work away at helping, you work away at being a ministry of help. Now, don't get me wrong, I think we should all serve and we need to serve in our anointing and out of our anointing. This is not the point I'm making. But you serve away, you think, no, this, I don't want to presume, Lord. I don't want to presume that I could be a prophet. You know what? There's zero anointing on your life for ministry of helps. You would be the most rubbish ministry of helps in the church. 
And you'll never flourish. You'll never greatly succeed. You'll never be lifted up as, and cheered as, wow, you've got some real wisdom and grace for this thing. Because there's no gift on you. There's no power on you. There's no grace on you to do gift of helps. Your grace and power is waiting for you over here as a mighty prophet of God. The Bible couldn't presume. It, it's like, you know, the parable that Jesus tells about, don't sit right up at the top of the table, yeah? Go take the lesser seat. Oh, yes, yes, I'll take the lesser seat. I'll take the ministry of help seat. But the other bit of the parable is, then someone comes to you and says, come and sit up higher. You don't go, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. You say, oh, I'll align myself with your call. Be happy to sit up in a different position. Hello? Hello over here? Very quiet today on this. The right wingers here. <laughs> so we are denying our self access to the graces God has poured out on us when we get into all this silly kind of I couldn't be so presumptuous nonsense. And the other thing we can do is we push for stuff that isn't ours out of some sort of wrong ambitions. That's the other side. So there's the wrong humility and then there's the wrong ambition. It's like we see people who are applauded. We see people who are getting profile. We see people who are, going to, are getting success and we think, oh, I love to be like them and I know I'm called to serve by God. So I'm, I'm going to be a prophet. And you start, you know, if you imagine that, that, that this picture is in the Bible as well about running the race. So you see all these people running their race and you start to get in the prophet lane. And you're like, look at me, look at me, I'm in the prophet lane, I'm running, I'm running, there's a prophet. And, then, and all the prophets are kind of running over your head. <laughs> because you can't keep up. And for all the look at me, nobody's noticing. Because there's no anointing. And you read and you study and you fast and you pray and nothing changes. And then you get depressed because oh, I'm just a useless servant of God. Now get in the right lane and you'll look amazing. <laughs> Maybe you've got a pastor gift. Run in the pastor lane. Then you'll be celebrated. Then you'll be fruitful. Then we'll enjoy you. Then you'll enjoy you. <laughs> Run in your own lane, not mine. Getting in the way. <laughs> That's my lane. I have a race to. Do you see what I mean? But envy. And wrong ambition makes us get in the way of people. The other thing we do is we back off the high callings of God because we know there's trouble. Well, I prophesied once and I got barbecued by the leadership. I'm never going to do that again, Lord. That was too painful. Well, I prayed for the sick a few times and it didn't work, so that rejection was just too much. I can't do it anymore, Lord. Don't ask me to do your calling on my whole life again. And uh, you called me to preach and I preached and it pancaked. In fact, you called me to preach and I pancaked over and over again. And it was so painful. Nobody thought it was any good and I'm just not going to do it again, Lord. So you withdraw from the anointing. You draw from the calling to protect your disappointment. Hmm. In Teresa's excellent talk about Joseph, did you notice that the same gift that got him into trouble got him out of trouble? Don't throw your gift away. If it got you in trouble, it'll get you out of it. I think there's a release coming for some of you this morning to align with your calling. We've got some amazingly gifted and called people here. And you got disappointed. And you got fearful and it's a time to change right now. You want to break that off your life. And you take a decision to say, you know what, God? You called me to be this amazing worship leader, to change the atmosphere in churches and cities with my song. 
and I've put a lid on it and gone quiet, I'm going to align myself to it and I'm going to go for it again. Hello. Mentioning no names. You have something amazing. You have an atmosphere-shifting gift, and we need it back. And God wants to reactivate it. And there's lots of you. So, your gift will get you into trouble. We've got Jesus into trouble. Why should we be any different? (laughs) Trouble comes anyway. There is no trouble-free life. There is no trouble-free road map. If you follow this, nothing will ever hurt you. Nothing will ever give you pain. Nothing will ever disappoint you. No one will ever reject you. No, life is full of all those things. But you stand a great deal better chance of having victory in it if you line up with who you are and who you're called to be. Because you have access to God's resources. So Joseph's gift of seeing dreams and he saw this dream, he blabbed it as a young kid, it got him into all kinds of trouble. But that dream gift and that interpretation gift grew in his imprisonment and his, all the rest of it as Teresa described it to us. And actually when his moment came, he lined up with that gift and says, I'm the man to interpret. It didn't just get him out of jail, it saved a nation and probably nations around him so if your gift got you in trouble guess what it's going to be the thing God uses to get you out of it are we happy about that no not really Andy (laughs) listen I believe that there's there's a pregnant this church is pregnant with a call we're pregnant with a call something being birthed in this church There's some unusual things about this church. (laughs) Not just the leader, okay. (laughs) That's taken for given. I have grace for me. I pray for grace on you for grace for me. (laughs) There's a call. There's a call to change this city. And that requires to, we've got to carry an atmosphere shifting anointing from heaven and not be afraid of it. I can't explain all this today, but I'm kind of flagging it up for the next time that I talk. There's lots of people in this room, you carry a call and you have a gifting that can change whole departments, whole geographic areas, whole ways of thinking, whole atmospheres of receptivity to God and His kingdom. Be it through music or creativity or many, many other things, wisdom in all kinds of areas. It's powerful because it's from heaven. And it's more powerful than any spiritual resource that anybody else in this city can draw on. We have access to the superior spirit of the universe. All activity on earth is powered by some spirit. Not just human reason. Everybody who's succeeding anywhere is drawing on some spirit. But we have the best one. We have the superior spirit. We have the king of all spirits. And that means when we draw on him and we line up with his calling and we receive his empowerment, we can do the best job. We can be the most significant. The church has taught itself and the world has tried to teach the church that we are insignificant, stay out of our stuff, do your church thing in a corner. And we've thought that's humility. I've even heard and read books and stuff where people say, well, what the church should do It's just be like its Lord and die. But my Lord didn't just die. He rose again. So that there could be a church that changed the world. We're not here to die. We're here to live. This is big stuff. 
This is world-changing stuff. This is city-changing stuff. This is life-changing stuff. This is, this is healing. This is wisdom. This is breakthrough. This is shifting the political scene. This is shifting the cultural scene in terms of music and art. This is shifting all kinds of stuff because we start to wake up and realize the Spirit of the Lord is on us. And He's anointed us to do something pretty amazing. You don't need lots of people to do this. Jesus called a, caused a whole pile of trouble all on His own. And then he got 12 guys involved with him, and they caused a whole pile of trouble pretty much on their own for a while. Are you getting this? Next time, I'm going I'm to give you a foretaste of the message to come. Sounds really pompous, doesn't it? <laughs> I love it. I'm nearly, I'm nearly done. Listen, if I don't enjoy this, you've got no chance, have you really? Come on. Thanks. <laughs> I totally lost the point now, so I'm going to move on to something I've got notes for. <laughs> a foretaste of what's to come. Yeah, but I've forgotten what the foretaste is. <laughs> Changing the world. Changing the world, yeah. Ah, thanks, yep. If you look through the book of Acts... I've found that there are 10 cities that they were in and nine of them, the whole city was affected by the presence of the Holy Spirit and all the apostles' arrival. And it wasn't like, oh, in a corner something happened. It says things like, the city was divided. Or the city was in confusion. Or there was great joy in that city. Or there was a sound from heaven that, that stirred a city of probably 90,000 people to get out and come and find out all these babblers on the street. The anointing of the Spirit is for city transformation. He isn't a small spirit. When he comes, in mind, is changing a whole city. That's just what he does for starters. That's the size of it. That's the strength of it. That's the expanse of it. And we've shrunk him and shrunk him and shrunk him. We've shrunk apostolic ministry. We've shrunk Holy Spirit ministry. So we get blessed on a Sunday and we get by doing church. His original coming was, I'm going to come. I'm going to stir a whole city. They're going to wonder what on earth is going on because a wind just blew. And when the wind blew, then there was fire came. And they're going to, where did the wind come from? What's the fire about? And then I'm going to give new languages to 120 people. And I'm going to freak the socks out of this city. And they're all going to go, who are these babblers? And they're confused. They don't know what to say. And that pattern continues all through the book of Acts. The only place it doesn't happen is where Paul does a reasoned argument for the gospel in Athens and nothing happens. Some people use that one account as their whole model for building church in our generation. It's got to be wrong. There are all these other accounts where miracles change the world. Not a nicely reasoned thing. How we've got to connect to the culture and we've got to understand their poets and we've got to understand it. No, we've got to give them God is what we've got to do. I know that I'm a game changer and an atmosphere shifter. I've been doing it all my Christian life. I've only begun to connect to what happens. I've done it in rooms with thousands of people. It happened uh, at North. I had a prophetic word which I gave. When I stood up, I I was up there for three to five minutes. I can feel the whole thing shift in the room. I had people come up to me all weekend going, oh, so good. I'm so glad you did that. So good. I had one couple. He leads a large church down in, in the north of England, a, a senior guy in, in our movement. He came and says, I just wanted to thank you for bringing that word. Uh, my wife and I came. We were really carrying some troubled stuff that were troubling us. And in that few moments, you undid us, fixed us, and sewed us back together again. It was worth coming all this way just for that moment. That can only happen if you know your significance and you're willing to stand in it. It's scary standing in front of 2,000 people 
going, I think I have the word of the Lord. But if I deliver it with, I think I might have something that might bless you kind of thing. You know, God might do this and he might do that. You know what? Well, he might. But I'm learning to stand in my identity. I think there's wisdom in not going around saying, I am a pastor, I am a prophet, I am an apostle. But what Jesus did, because actually he didn't go around clearly saying often, I am the Son of God. Although it's there, in John particularly, he did go around clearly saying what his function was. I'm here so things are going to change. I'm here so you can get blessed. I'm here so you can get free. I'm here so you're going to get healed. I'm here so you can get a drink from heaven. I'm here so you're going to get raised from the dead. Do you see what I mean? So he lined up with his function over and over and over again. And I think the Apostle Paul did the same because, when we'll talk about this another day, when he says at the beginning of his letters, Paul an Apostle, I don't think he was thinking, I have the senior title, I'm the boss. To him, Apostle meant this is my function in God. I change things. I bring heaven to earth and I change things. And we'll talk about that another time. What, what I'm building up to is you don't just need to agree in your head with your calling. You need to say what it is. You need to line up by declaration. That's what Jesus did. You're safe as long as you don't say anything. But by declaration, which is what Jesus is doing, he said, the Spirit of the Lord, he did it with words. He didn't just go around thinking... No, I'm this really anointed guy, but I'm not going to tell anybody. <laughs> and just by thought transfer, maybe the church leaders will realize what I've got. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> it's got to start by on the inside and with your own words in your own prayer time saying, God, I believe you. You called me, and I believe it's going to happen. And appropriately, in the right places, it's, it's time to start saying, well, because we're here, things are going to change. According to what you're called to do. And bear the fruit of it. Stuff starts to happen around you. Hmm. So there's a big uh, recovery program happening in this room right now. Uh, God showed me in a vision like a whole load of tools and weapons that had been waiting. They're literally hovering in the room. And nobody was go- grabbing them because oh, I couldn't possibly have a sword that big. <laughs> no, after you. No, after you. So nobody took them. So they all got wrapped up and put away. But I believe what God said to me, out of the prayer time we had, that 24-7 prayer, that he's unwrapped them and they're all here. And some of you need to line up with your calling again today. Take your sword and start slashing a few things with it. We'll even take collateral damage. Just do something. Let's take a few risks. Let's do some harm. Church is too safe, too conservative, too boring. It's made for people who want to conform. No, we're here to change, we're here to change them. This isn't a place for conformists. It's a place for creative revolutionaries. Well, it couldn't possibly be that. Yeah, you could. So I don't know, what do you fancy? You know, a spanner for the Lord, that's really useful, honestly. Or a claymore. Or one of those big axe, a flamethrower, you want to be a flamethrower for Jesus, okay. Okay, any more flamethrowers? You just feel called to flame. okay, do you want to stand up if you're a flamethrower? No, seriously, we're going for this, right? This is the ministry time, here we go. Holy Spirit's here. Who wants, who believes they're called to really wield a, a sword for the Lord? Now that could be in preaching, prophetic, it could be in demolishing strongholds. Come on, come on, line up, line up, line up, line up. Okay, there's a whole bunch of people in this room, your worship leaders, your musicians, 
and you have called to change, I believe, the music scene in church, but also in the world. I want you to stand up. Come on, line up. Say, that's me. That's mine. That's mine. It's a guitar that's going to demolish strongholds, all right? It's a piano that's going to take them down. It's a voice. It's a voice that's going to release freedom over thousands of people. How are we doing? How are we doing? <laughs> There's a captive set free calling. A captive set free calling. <laughs> There's somebody still sitting down who's got a captive set free anointing. When you stand up, you're going to get free so you can set other people free. That means you want to see people whole. You want to see them free of bondages. You want to see them free of things that hold them down and depress them and oppress them. And it's in you. You're bursting to see that happen. And you're still sitting down. Come on. Come on. That's you. Now receive freedom in your own spirit right now in Jesus' name. Okay, now what we all need to do is start saying, God... I, I agree with you. I align with this. I'm a flamethrower for Jesus. Come on. I'm a, I'm a captive freer. I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a bringer of heavenly music to earth. I'm, I'm a fixer. I think there is a spanner anointing. You're here. You fix relationships. You fix churches. You fix people's mental state. Come on. If you're, that's you, you need to stand up, line up with that. You know you're called to restore churches. You know you're called to restore people in their thinking. Ha. Huh. You, you restore relationships where it's been broken between two people. You, you have the grace to fix it. You just need to stand up and say, yeah, Lord, that's me. I carry that. I carry that. There's people here with grace for children to bring them into supernatural so there's no junior Holy Spirit. So you bring them into favor with God. You bring them into impact and encounter with heaven. You instruct them and feed them. Stand up. That's me. I'm called to do that. I have grace for that. Say it. God, I am someone with grace for children, if that's you. Some of you got nation calling. Nation, trans, local, trans, what's the word I'm looking for, Lord? Uh, cultural, cross-cultural gifting, cross-cultural gifting. You just want to work in other nations, other languages, other, other cultures. Come on, stand up. Say it. God, that's me. You nailed me today, God, and I'm lining up with my call today. I agree with you today. I own it today, God. I thank you for that call. Okay, not everybody stood up. That, that's okay. I, can't, I haven't got any more things. But if you've got something stirring in you, then feel free to stand and line up with the thing you feel God has called you to do. There's a freedom for many captive gifts this morning, right now. Disappointment, hurt. All right, maybe you need a sozo, but to be honest, Jesus is here. He's going to just take it away like that. If you give it to him, he's walking around. He can take it away. Don't believe that you need a five-hour process to get done what you can do in five seconds in the, in the anointing. All right, so if you could say, God, I did that, and it really hurt, and it was disappointing. Well, tell him, and then say, will you take it away or take it away? Come on, come on, let's go, let's go. He's here. He loves doing this stuff. I'll just break it off right now in Jesus' name. Break it off right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 